Welcome to the Falling Skies cast, the first podcast dedicated to Falling Skies on TNT. Hello, welcome back to the Falling Skies cast. I am Jimmy and Georgia, your host, and I am pleased to bring to you today the Falling Skies Comic-Con panel for 2011 audio. Thanks to our new friend Live762 over on YouTube. Uh, He posted up 11 videos of the panel, and this morning I was able to contact him, and he gave us permission to use the audio from his videos here on the podcast to give our listeners a chance to hear all the goodness from the Falling Skies Comic-Con panel. So thanks again to Live762, and you can see his all of his videos. He has lots of stuff from Comic-Con and other things as well over at youtube.com slash user slash live 762. So check him out and you can go over there, leave comments and like it and share it and uh, favorite it or whatever you might like to do um, since he's able to share this on the panel with us. I know lots of us are probably out there looking for it, myself included, and I was not able to find it until Tuesday night when I came across live 762's uh, posting. So thanks to him. You can go watch the panel over at fallingskiescast.com or at his um, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash live762. So if you'd like to watch the panel, feel free to do that. Or if you choose to listen to it here on the podcast, that would be great as well. All right. Well, this episode, I am without Emmy, my co-host. And uh, the Blue Believe here, this is going to be a short segment as far as what I'll be saying. And then we're going to get into the Comic-Con panel. And then uh, that'll pretty much be it. Hope to have another episode out, hopefully later tonight. It is Wednesday, July the 27th, or possibly tomorrow. I really would like to have it out tonight. I was at, It's really going to depend on uh, Emmy's work schedule. She's supposed to be off work already, and she's having to work late. So if it's too late, we probably won't be able to record tonight. So, you know, we'll have to deal with that at that point. But anyway, um, I am here with you, and we're going to have this Comic-Con panel audio here in just a few moments. Do want to say before we get into that that is some slight spoiler information. Just I mean they are talking, you know, somewhat about the end of this season, looking towards second season of the show. I, I mean I don't know. It depends on what kind of level of spoilers you're looking for or you don't like. I mean if you want to be completely 100% spoiler free, maybe you want to skip this. But I think for the most part you're pretty safe in listening to the audio from the panel, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, one thing I'll get into real briefly before we, we start the audio, uh, one of the things I ask is, what's your favorite episode? And everybody gives, you know, whatever their favorite episode was. Uh, one of the producers of the show actually says episode 98 is a joke, I guess, but it made me think about that. They're doing 10 episode seasons, uh, thus far anyway, for season one and season two. And if you're doing 10 episode seasons, that would take 10 years to get to episode 98. And so what would happen, you know, even if the show only goes on for, say, for three, or three to five years, I don't know, just guessing. I would, I would hope it goes longer than that, but you never know. Or what happens when Matt grows up? I mean, they ran into this problem with loss between season one and the end of season two. Walt was freaking huge, and by the time we see him the next time, he's like a grown man. If uh, Maxim Knight grows up pretty quickly, he will not look like, you know, little Matt Mason for long. And so... How do you deal with that? Do you kill him off? Do you have another actor portray the role? Do you have him captured by skitters and they perform growth enhancement experiments on him? I mean, you'd have to do something to explain that away unless you jump forward in time. You know, really, unless, you know, the next season starts one year later or whatever. 
how would you explain the rapid growth um, from what typically I would think would be, for the most part, picking up right where we left off here in season one, I would, I would assume. I don't know that. But um, I just think that is an interesting thing to think about. And I know other shows you know, jumped ahead sometimes, like Battlestar Galactica did that. Desperate Housewives has done that. There's other shows. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I don't think I'd want to miss six months or a year of what's happening. I know we already missed six months of the, you know, from their initial invasion to what was going on when the show started. Uh, so it's not going to be the first time that we've missed out on some things. But at this point, I don't think that would be a great decision to jump forward. But I mean, I don't know. We we'll have to wait and see what they do and how all this works out. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to get into the audio of the panel. Let you enjoy that. And here we go. Skitters is always a fun time. I mean, 
I would say, uh, yeah, the, the pilot as well, only because that, that got the ball rolling and set the tone, and just happy to be a part of it. It was pretty cool. I think the final episode is my favorite, so I'm not going to say anything more. <laughs>
is uh, the support uh, that you get from everyone. I think it was my first day on set, and it was actually Noah gave me a just a, a, a wonderful note. I was unsure about something. He said, "Why don't you try such and such?" And I appreciated the fact that he. Uh, I don't feel like he was telling me what to do. And if anything, he was looking out for me, and it made the scene better. And so there's you're getting so much. Uh, on top of just playing a great character, you're, you're allowed and you're getting supported by everyone else in the cast. It's, it's just phenomenal. Teenager in childhood, is he? No, he doesn't, but he, he still tries to hang on to some things, you know. He's got every girl on the show after him, which is quite playing a kid who's trying to grow into being a man, but then at the same time, he's a 17-year-old kid, and uh, it was a fun balance to look out for. He seems to have noticed a lot more of the changes in Ben than his father has. Why is that? Uh, I don't think, I think we all are just very suspicious of Ben, and you know, curious what's happened. We're trying to figure things out. Rick has uh, responded very differently than what Ben has, and uh, Tom has a lot on his plate. You know, I think he might also turn somewhat of a blind eye to not have to deal with that situation, whereas Hal is trying to, you know, strategically figure out what's going on without really pinning him down and asking the hard questions. Captain Weaver? Oh, well, Hi. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt or anything. What was the question? No, I was just going to ask you. So it feels like you've suffered some personal losses. Are we ever going to find out more about what's really behind that hard shell? Yeah, you're going to find out more. Yeah. You're going to find out a lot more. Yeah. There's a lot of secrets in his pocket. Yeah. And what can you tell us about those secrets? What's that? And what are you going to tell us about those secrets? I can't talk about it. <laughs> we won't tell anybody. <laughs> Why do you think <laughs> He also seems to have a soft spot for Jimmy. Is that his, you know? Oh, well, I mean, I, you know, he, 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 yeah, I guess, I do. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> really well put. <laughs> and hasn't really come to terms with the death of her son, has she? Yeah, I, you know, I lose my husband and my son during the invasion, and as you guys know, this takes six months after. And uh, yeah, my my backstory was that I was um, I was at the hospital at the time. I play a, a pediatrician, and now I'm you know some meatball surgeon who has to kind of be the head of the civilians. But I don't talk much about my family. Um, my character is very selfless, and it's always about everyone else. She's sort of a mother hen. Um, type for, the, for everyone, so I don't really, you don't really learn that much about my son, not yet. Are we going to learn more? I don't know, I mean, um, there'll be bits and pieces. I think there's so many characters to cover, and I think there's an element of mystery in our whole show. I just think science fiction uh, shows are that way just fundamentally, but I think eventually you'll learn something, as I'll learn them too. There was that great moment when she you know, realized that she didn't have anything to put up on the wall. Can you talk about what that was like filming that? Yeah, that was really intense. I remember shooting that scene and Noah and I were really quiet before and I had to go to a really emotional place and it's, it's sometimes hard, you know, you don't always want to go there, but the, the writing is so beautiful and everyone has pictures posted of their kids that they lost and I lost my son, but I had, I had no mementos, nothing. 
And there's such a shame in that, knowing you're a mother and you have nothing to show for it. So it was really cathartic to kill the alien and then Tom follows me out. And the only thing I put up is, you know, I just killed an alien as my bloody hand on the wall. And Noel was so fantastic that later on in my trailer, I got a little note, um, the very, you know, piece of paper that I put my hand on that just said, you know, this is when Tom falls in love with Anne. So that was really sweet. I like to tell that story. Our universe, you know, that's a romantic act that she does. <laughs> she kills the skitters so that we could figure out how to kill them quietly so that my son could go in with his harness strapped to his back and try to find his brother. So it's this great act of generosity, which, you know, in a normal show <laughs> would be an action sequence, and in our show is uh, an intimate private moment between two people. <laughs> So what I thought Mo would just play the hell out of that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes from the whole season. What's in store for Tom and Anna's couple? Uh, well, we've talked about this a lot. That, you know, obviously there's a great affinity and chemistry between these two characters, but uh, it's very difficult to dedicate screen time to interpersonal relationships without dissipating the tension that we're trying to uh, say is always there and ever present. So uh, it's a relationship that really plays itself out across crowded rooms with two very busy people wishing that they had more time to explore. And then towards the end of the season, that opportunity comes and it feels very well-earned and uh, sweet when it does. Is that vague enough for everybody? <laughs> Aliens, much harder. Dialogue's easier. You must have gotten a lot of offers after ER. What was it that attracted you to the show? Uh, well, I sort of stayed away from TV for a little while, you know, I think uh, I needed to digest that experience and I think people needed to sort of uh, put a little distance between me and Johnny Carter. Uh, and it really was, it was a combination of, of factors wanting to get back into it. It was um, certainly a chance to work with Michael Wright and TNT again, who I've made these librarian films with over the last year. Uh, it was certainly a chance to work with DreamWorks who, and Steven Spielberg, who were one of the creative components to ER. A uh, chance to do a very different kind of character, a very dynamic physical character, new genre, and um, uh, as I joke often, to look like a hero to my eight-year-old son. <laughs> Which isn't really a joke. <laughs> Sarah Margaret's really had a rough go of it. She's got a lot of secrets of her own. Can you talk a little bit about playing that? I'm having trouble hearing you. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you too? Okay. Yeah, okay. Will you ask that again? I will. Okay. Margaret's been through a lot this yes. season, hasn't she? What's it like playing that tough chick with a... She's got to have a heart in there somewhere. She does have a very good heart. and. It's just such an honor to be playing a character with that kind of depth and uh, wisdom, actually. Um, what I like about her is that she doesn't prove her good heart to anybody 
it's revealed through her actions, and uh, it'll be continued to unfold. <laughs> it will continue to unfold. <laughs> I'm nervous. Look at all of you. Well, under the exciting categories, everyone knows the show's been picked up for season two. <laughs> Door for season two. What can you tell us? Before, before we do that, I just wanted to, I think we should acknowledge uh, Greg Beeman, who, who is not here, who is our co-executive producer and did an incredible job making the show. And uh, I also wanted to say this preview we just saw was written by Melinda Sue Taylor, who's sitting right there. cerebral character and I played a mother so it was different I, I wasn't as physical I was uh, a more passive person and even though it's in the same genre it was um, it wasn't about you know being sexy it was it's simply about being a doctor and a mother and a human being all right thank you you're welcome the people who watch um, your show um, and, uh, my question is for Colin um, I was wondering what it's like for you as an actor to play a bad guy and what about that is nice uh, well is, is any, I think any not to call myself a good actor but a, a, the better actors I think won't necessarily you don't play somebody as a bad guy nobody thinks of themselves as a bad guy um, I will say that it's it's awesome. It's, an, it's a fantastic part to play. I when I first just read the uh, audition scenes, and I thought, this is, uh, this is not your normal, everyday uh, foil. This, this guy's got some depth. He's incredibly intelligent. Um, and, you know, if anything, I'm still a little blown away by all, all the people here, because when, I think when we're all doing what we're doing, certainly for me, you take it very, very seriously. And I can joke and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm a pretty nice guy, you know, but when you're working, you really, really get into this stuff. 
And um, I mean, I went full guns on the audition. I mean, I had the hair and the, and the beard, the tattoos, and the whole nine yards. So for me, I've always been a character actor. Uh, my favorite actors are all character actors. So just to be to be gifted uh, such a role and to be, if anything, uh, to have the trust that they thought I could pull pull it off is, is wonderful. But it's it's just odd that you're into it. You're working every day. You're doing what you're doing, and then all of a sudden we come out and there's this gigantic crowd of people here that, uh, that hopefully appreciate what you do, so I'm a little bit overwhelmed by it. Hi there. Uh, first, I'd just like to say, uh, you're a great hit back in Brazil, so we love you back there. Uh, I would like to know if we're going to see different kinds of aliens from the ones we've seen so far. Stay till the end of the panel. <laughs> Is John Pope getting more screen time? Because after the first uh, pilot, like the second episode, he's like gone. So come on. I, I can only I can only hope. Uh, I will say this: I've been incredibly grateful for the time I've been granted on the show because it's a wonderful ensemble cast and there's a lot of stories to tell. Um, so I'm, I'm just really grateful for what I've had thus far, and if it's made any kind of impact, that's that's more than I can possibly imagine. But that would be a, a question for. Uh, for these two gentlemen over here to the left, it's free, rather, yeah. We're gonna, we'll put it in, uh, in Will's notebook. <laughs> Thanks for the comment, I appreciate that, thank you. I think you're awesome in Hannah Montana. <laughs> and also, I wanted to know why you guys use the radios for the aliens to talk with you guys, or like, you know, to... Yeah, radio signals. Why do we use them? Yeah. Well, that was just a decision we worked up in the, as we were coming up with the stories. Um, we wanted to find a way for the aliens to communicate. One thing that's cool about the skitters and that, that part of goes into the design of them was that um, we did not want aliens that you could walk up to and shake their hand and say, we surrender or something like that. And so uh, communication is very difficult. And um, so even discovering how to communicate with them, we wanted to come up with a challenge. And that's where the radio um, idea came from. She forgot about iCarly, too, because I must say that. <laughs> um, I wanted to know what your guys' initial reactions were to the skitters when you saw the first concepts of them. I flipped out. <laughs> I did. I thought it was the coolest. You don't know what the aliens are going to look like. I mean, it's going to be, you know, something that's out of Baywatch, you know, the big moves, or what are we doing here? And, yeah, I remember when I first saw a skitter, I, I, I tripped out. I was like, wow, that's one ugly-looking thing, man. So I don't know. That was my impression. I keep saying I think they're really cute. <laughs> <laughs> they're soulful. They look like little pugs. <laughs> kind of snuggly. Yeah. Well, we saw them kind of in stages. When we were shooting the pilot, we saw some two-dimensional uh, color photographs of what they might look like. And then by the end of the pilot shoot, we had a little video loop of this spidery looking thing crawling up a wall. Uh, but it really wasn't until we saw the pilot finished that we saw what the true design was going to look like. And uh, in that first sequence where you see him sort of in silhouette uh, crawling over the body of a kid. And I thought it looked just fantastic. Yeah, and I, it was really interesting when I had to do the scenes where the skitters captured because it was a guy literally in a suit. 
And uh, I actually liked it. It gave it a, a three-dimensional feel to me versus a, a green screen. So um, I was terrified. I'm not terrified, but I thought the skitter was very believable when I first saw it, to, to answer your question. But it was also nice to work with something that was actually tangible. And it has a human-like quality. The eyes, I could have swore they were like blinking at me. They, it, just, it just draws you in, and I think it makes it harder to kill something that looks more sympathetic and human-like which I think is sort of, you know, you, you want to terrify the audience or, or that aliens are, you know, something to be messed with, but that they have some sort of identification as, uh, of, of human beings. So it's, it, it was interesting. Um, my, okay, that sounds strange. Uh, <laughs> um, my question was that normally that, uh, when you see the skitters, they're not using like the handheld weaponry or anything like that. So I was wondering why they aren't doing that. Because it would seem like an advanced alien race would be, you know, going up to somebody and like boxing them. <laughs> <laughs>
Sarah. Sarah, I always admire your work and the scenes in Smallville. Oh. I just wanted to ask you. I want to ask you this new role. You say, do you find it easy or challenging for you? Uh, I wouldn't qualify it as easy or challenging. It's just a wonderful opportunity to do something I've never done before, which is play a character with an extremely tough shell and uh, an equal vulnerability. Um, yeah, it, it's an honor, and I'm so grateful that it came at this point in my career. I was ready for something I could dive into on a deeper level. Character, and I wanted to ask, um, does the lack of costume change in the messy apocalypse in the world look make it easier for you as an actor to get into it? <laughs> so overrated. Uh, it makes it easier. It makes it smellier. But <laughs> those costumes don't get a lot of washing, and we get them pretty dirty. But uh, I think we all felt, you know, we could really only wear what we could have carried plausibly in our various packs. So uh, I don't change very often. Uh, until there's a scene where we go in and loot a gap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're stuck with our clothes. training that they'd have to go through for their particular roles with the firearms and the physical running around and so on and so forth? Yeah, they, they sent us through uh, a training kind of, it was like an afternoon. We got to go in and there were, um, it was a, a whole afternoon's worth of training. <laughs> well, I guess the whole thing was a training, but uh, we had to pick out our guns. Uh, we had a, every kind of gun you'd ever seen laid out on these tables and they said, pick any two you want and then you would take those guns and uh, the armory guys took us out and uh, we'll actually were this a sound stage and um, they showed us how to move around and whatnot. We, I think we all decided we wanted to be trained as if you were going to be SWAT or you know like know exactly how to do it and then pull back and make it look like we had sort of learned on our own. But we wanted to know the real way to do it so that we could then have our own ideas. We did bike training. Yeah. yeah. No, it's ironic. We've got Dale Dye as a cast member, and Dale is the definitive yes, uh, expert on military advisory to the film business. And Dale runs his own boot camp, and usually, if there's a war film, all the actors go through his two-week intensive. But because we're a civilian army, uh, we sh we're supposed to have kind of an unpolished look to our tactics. So uh, it was it was much more gun handling and safety than it was tactical training. I actually trained in Krav Maga on the side while we were doing this. I haven't said that yet, but that's what I did. Where <laughs> you filmed the different scenes, uh, such as uh, scenes in broken down towns and uh, old factories and stuff, I was wondering where they were all filmed. We shot the whole first season in and around Toronto, Canada, um, Oshawa, and Hamilton or old industrial parts of town and have had factory closures over the last 20 years. So there's a lot of really great sort of uh, rusted out infrastructure buildings. We used a lot of those. But everything was around Toronto. Hi, everybody. You kind of answered my question on Captain Dye, but on that note, um, is he going to be coming back in a larger role next season? 
somewhat yeah. uh, undecided will if you have that in your notebook. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, then it's a conversation. Um, uh, Remy and, and his team are, are working on that diligently as we speak. So. Oh, yes, we need the old time. Of course, we'll be Hi guys. 
I just wanted to ask, you guys mentioned about like other pockets of resistance. Will you guys be like, you know, is there going to be like an LA resistance that you guys are going to show up in the show? You know, what's, what is one of the unique aspects of the show is that we're focusing on our group, you know, 300 people. Um, and we will, you know, in, uh, in the second season start getting a sense of what the rest of the country looks like. But we think it's, it's a unique perspective. We don't know what's happened to Washington, D.C. Or, or Manhattan. And, and we like focusing on our, our family for the time being. But we will eventually answer some of those questions, yes. Love the show, man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. I do want to say one more time thanks to Live762 over on YouTube for posting the clips and for allowing us to use the audio here for the podcast. So thanks again. Don't forget to you know, go over there to his channel at youtube.com slash user slash Live762 and leave some comments or like it, like his videos or favorite them or whatever you might want to do since he is the one who's enabled us to hear and see the panel. All right. Well, we'd love to hear your feedback on this podcast with the Comic-Con panel or the last episode, Sanctuary Part 2, that we'll be talking about soon, hopefully tonight or maybe tomorrow, depending on how everybody's schedule goes. And you can contact us in all sorts of ways. You can go over to our website, fallingskiescast.com, leave comments there. You can email us at fallingskiescast at gmail.com. We'd love for you to send us a tweet. We are listed on Twitter as The Falling Skies. You can find us on Facebook. We're facebook.com slash fallingskiescast. And that'd be great. And then also... You can call us, and I would love for you to call us. I checked our voicemail actually yesterday, and I saw a few calls, and I was like, yay, we got some calls. And then I found out they were telemarketing pre-recorded messages about healthcare in Alaska. So I was like, weird. I don't know why someone would be calling about healthcare in Alaska to a Chicago number uh, or Illinois number. I don't know, like the 773 area code, I think it's in Chicago or somewhere close by, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> that's just funny to me. But anyway, call into the show at 773-35-SKIES. That's 773-357-5437. And also with that, uh, you may be familiar with Google Voice. Apart from just calling in leaving a voicemail on that line, you could also actually text message that line. So if you um, put that phone number in your phone, you could send us a quick text um, or call us, whatever that might be. Easier, whatever you might want to do. Again, that is 773-35-SKIES or 773-357-5437. Like I said earlier, we hope to have another episode out for you really quickly. And I really am hoping to have episode um, out after Sunday's episode of Falling Skies out as soon as possible. I don't like these delays. I know it's been um, later in the week, Wednesday or so, this this past couple weeks. And I know last week with my brother's surgery and stuff, it was kind of hard for me to get to the podcast and tonight. With any schedule, it's been kind of hard. But hopefully we'll be able to get that out sooner. I really would like to have this out by Monday, and and I'm sorry that we haven't been able to do that for you guys. We will see you soon, hopefully, uh, with another episode of the Falling Skies cast. So from all of us to all of you, peace. Peace, love, and skitters.